0: Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on The Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 48 of the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa.
1: And I'm Allison.
0: And today on the Coffee House, we're going to be talking about Edward McDowell, an American composer, and In a Haunted Forest from his suite number one.
1: We've talked about a few other American composers like Sousa and Joplin, who had decidedly popular American styles. And this week with Edward McDowell, we will show that his style is much more in line with the European romantics, as you'll definitely hear in this piece, The Haunted Forest.
0: McDowell was born in 1860 in New York City. Interestingly, the McDowell family were Quakers, but Edward didn't really seem to draw much inspiration from that heritage. His father was very willing to pay for Edward to take music lessons, so at eight years old, he began to learn piano with a Colombian violinist, which is an interesting choice of teacher. For piano. Yeah, I know, named Juan Buitrago, and later with Pablo Desverina and Teresa Carreño, who were Cuban and Venezuelan, respectively.
1: When he was 15 years old, and quite proficient at the piano, McDowell's mother took him to Paris, where he successfully won a scholarship to the Paris Conservatory. However, McDowell didn't like this conservatory, so he transferred to the German Hoch Conservatory, which seems to have had its biggest influence on his musical voice. While in Germany, McDowell frequently performed for Franz Liszt, who turned out to be a big supporter of McDowell, and even helped him get some of his first works published. And recall in our episode about Liszt, how he pointed out what a great and generous guy he actually was.
0: So if you're following along with some of our other episodes, this might strike you as very familiar. This path of conservatory to famous musician mentor is very common amongst the European romantic composers. And this American was following right in their footsteps, which obviously helped McDowell to grow his appeal to the European audiences. But he was also gaining fame in America, thanks to his former teacher, Teresa Carreño, performing his works during her concerts.
1: And I would definitely regard that as very high praise to have a teacher see enough merit in my work to broadcast it to the world.
0: So McDowell did remain in Europe for a while and continued to compose and teach piano in Germany, Then he returned to America with his wife in 1888, where they lived in Boston. For the rest of his life, he would live in New England or New York. Many of McDowell's well-known works came out of this time, and most share a central theme of enjoying the beauty of nature, such as his woodland sketches and orchestral suites. He was also employed by Columbia University and charged with building their music department, which had been non-existent until McDowell was hired.
1: During the last four years of his life, his health slowly deteriorated. Apparently, he was run down by a horse-drawn carriage as he was crossing the street one day, and he never quite recovered physically, and his mental health actually went downhill from there.
0: McDowell died in 1908 at only 48 years old. Many sources have said that while he was regarded as, quote, one of the most celebrated American composers in the 19th century, His creativity was only just beginning to blossom, and as a result, he has faded a bit into the background of the American consciousness.
1: But here on The Coffee House, where we are dedicated to hard-hitting journalism, we're hoping to change that. So let's take a journey with McDowell in a haunted forest.
0: Can we take a journey with McDowell into a bright fairy forest instead?
1: Eh, we could. He has a lot of pieces that are also in bright fairy forests. All but we're right. going to well, do The Haunted Forest today.
0: This piece was written in 1891, three years after he had moved to Boston, and is actually the first movement of McDowell's Suite No. 1. Other movements in the suite include Summer Idyll, In October, The Shepherdess's Song, and Forest Spirits. Now, with titles like these, we really can see that McDowell drew a lot on nature and forest scenes.
1: One thing that I particularly want to dig into is McDowell's style, and I think that this piece is a really good example of it. When we hear this piece, it really does scream romantic Romantic! at us. And to me, even in just maybe a cursory listen, if I had to choose a European composer that it sounded like, I might choose Dvorak.
0: But based on all of McDowell's teachers and influences, this style is actually a little bit surprising. So, recall McDowell's first few teachers in America were from South American countries, or Cuba. However, in McDowell's music, there's not much in the way of Latin rhythms. Now, that seems to be a trend that took a while for American composers to really embrace thinking Copland or Bernstein. So, then think of his quasi-mentor Franz Liszt. You'll recall when we spoke about Liszt, We examined how over-the-top and theatrical his music and performances were. In comparison, McDowell's music is very understated and minimal.
1: Minimalist?
0: Not quite. That comes later in music history.
1: (laughs) When we look at this piece, it becomes apparent that McDowell is choosing to focus on and develop a basic motif. We first hear it at the very beginning in the cellos, basses, and bassoons. And essentially, this little theme is just a five-note segment of a scale that goes down and then turns back around at the end of the measure. And eventually, it works its way through the orchestral range all the way up to the woodwinds.
0: Now, later in the faster middle section of the piece, we don't quite hear this exact down-and-back-up motif, but we still get the upward movements of notes at the ends of measures. And here, we do come across a section that is quite repetitive.
1: Hence my minimalism comment earlier.
0: that resolves into a lovely, triumphant orchestral chorale that again features our down-and-up motif from the beginning, though this time, it's less mysterious.
1: McDowell also shows his European influences as he tries to instill fear of the ghouls that are lurking in these woods. He uses a tried-and-true technique of sweeping chromatic lines that are textured with violin tremolo. So, tremolo is a technique when a player essentially trills on a single note, and so when the whole string section does it together, the sound kind of takes on a sort of soft tone, as in like, pellowy or velvety, and it's almost distorted. So obviously when composers are writing about a spooky, scary setting, they want to put you in the mindset of not really being sure what's going on. So having a less-than-crisp sound in the cacophony plays into that feeling very well.
0: But to compare this technique to other composers, it sounds very much like McDowell drew inspiration from pieces such as Masorgsky's Night on Bald Mountain, Wagner's Flying Dutchman Overture, and also a little bit of Liszt's Les Preludes. Which is one of his more straightforward pieces. McDowell really does have a lovely sense of orchestration, and it really shines through in his triumphant restatement of the theme.
1: We have the strings smoothly and legato re-playing the theme, and the brass too. However, the brass have more separated and punctuated notes. Aural contrast gives the effect to the listener that we have come across something very grand, and the brass adds something of a fanfare quality to the sound, which just adds to the grandness.
0: Now, I also like how he not only writes big, full orchestra chorales, but also cute little woodwind chorales, and his voice leading is just impeccable. Now, voice leading is the bane of my existence as a music student, but when done correctly, it's just so pleasing to listen to, and it is the basis of any quality chorale. By definition, voice leading is the smooth movements of notes from one chord to the next, and it's very related to counterpoint. There are many rules, but mainly they boil down to the goal of not having any one voice have to skip too many notes, and to make sure the soprano voice has the melody.
1: And McDowell does just that in this section. We clearly hear the flute with the melody, but also the notes under it changing with the chords, with some instruments moving up and some down, and none having to jump more than an interval of a third. And this only lasts for a few measures, but it's like a little nugget of tasty and satisfying harmony in the midst of the rest of McDowell's spooky scales.
0: McDowell also has an excellent sense of overarching form that listeners can easily pick up on even though each section doesn't have a definitive form to it. So we obviously start quietly with our little motif in the low strings moving up to the woodwinds. Then, we come to the upbeat, scary section that is depicting running through the forest as we are pursued by the gremlins that live within.
1: Then, we have our triumphant section as though we have escaped the forest, or at least made it to the safety of a clearing. winds the piece back down, having it end with the trepidatious theme we heard at the beginning. And McDowell has used a pretty cool technique where he makes the ending essentially at the beginning but in reverse. And so first we hear the theme played in the woodwinds and then it winds down to the cellos and basses minus bassoons this time.
0: Overall, this work is a little bit academic, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Recall that he developed the Columbia University music program, so having a strong sense of doing what's right musically was probably quite a benefit as he trained young musicians, because, of course, you have to know the rules before you break them. And though we've said a lot about how closely he mimicked the European sound, we should also point out that he did write quite a lot of nationalistic American pieces. He did pick up American folk melodies and rework them into his romantic genre, and many of his vocal works feature text of American poetry.
1: And as a conservatory trained musician, he didn't have many role models except the Europeans to look up to anyway. And so all in all, he did embody the American High Romantic voice during the time period. That's not just the popular voice that we sometimes tend to think of only during this period.
0: So if you enjoyed this episode of the Copyhouse Classical Music Podcast, please consider joining us on Facebook and telling a friend about the fun things that we do here
1: And speaking of sharing with a friend, starting with episode 49, we're going to be sharing with you a two-part episode about Felix and Fanny Mendelssohn, so definitely tune in for that and be sure to spread the word amongst any of your Mendelssohn-loving mates that you might have.
0: So for the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa.
1: And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. In a Haunted Forest was performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find the Coffeehouse on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you download podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, and we're now on Instagram as Podcast Coffee House. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.